Welcome to Hallucinated, a podcast for curious souls driven by a desire for discovery. Hello and welcome back to Hallucinated. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your loving support. Thank you for giving me such kind and positive feedback. Your support means a lot to me, and I am so happy that you're joining me again in this week's episode to learn how to create happy memories. So, have you ever caught yourself thinking that your best days are already behind you? If you have, I can assure you that you are not alone. And sadly, research with centenarians show that when reminiscing about their lives, the bulk of their memories center around when they were 15 to 30 years old. But 30 is hardly old age, and at 30, 40, 50, 60, even 70, we still have life ahead of us. Rather than living the rest of our lives in nostalgia about our late teens and 20s, let us remember that there is still life to be lived, and that we can create beautiful moments at every stage of life. The great news is that research has also been done on how to create happy memories and what I want to share with you today is research from a book called The Art of Making Memories, How to Create and Remember Happy Moments by Mike Viking from the Happiness Research Institute of Copenhagen. It turns out that there are patterns to the kinds of memories we tend to remember and that the events which occur somewhat naturally when we're around 15 to 30 years of age coincide well with these patterns. So if you understand the pattern, you can consciously create these moments at any stage of life. There are two basic components to creating happy memories. On the one hand, we've got to experience happiness. On the other hand, we have to pay attention to that moment in order for that moment to have a chance to encode into our memories. So first, we will talk about what kinds of moments tend to make it into our memories and how we can recall these moments. And then we will talk about how to be happy, which is a much trickier topic and has puzzled philosophers and psychologists for millennia. And I don't think we will quite cover the depths of the keys to happiness in our episode today, but we will discuss it to the best of our ability. So... What does it mean to pay attention? Mike Viking describes it as being a good date. If you've just met somebody new and you're on a date with them, what do you do? You focus on them. You make observations about them. You put your phone away and give your undivided attention to your date. Phones, by the way, are thieves of happy memories because of their amazing ability to capture our attention. Mike Viking suggested that in order to coerce ourselves to go on our phones less frequently, we can change the setting to grayscale, meaning your whole phone experience becomes a lot less attractive. I'm trying that out right now, and I can testify that looking at my phone has become quite unappealing. Phones are not the devil, and thank goodness that we are able to communicate and to retrieve information so quickly thanks to our phones. Our modern lives are definitely facilitated by the convenience of phones, but we can't live on our phones. Minimizing our phone usage to what is necessary and enjoyable and not going beyond that point such that we're automatically reaching for our phones to entertain ourselves is a great idea if you want to give yourself a chance to create happy memories. 
Of course, we know this, and paying attention is much easier said than done, and the art of mindfulness and paying attention is a topic worthy of discussion all on its own. But hopefully, knowing that paying attention is the foundation of creating happy memories will encourage us to make an effort to pay attention. So what kinds of moments do we tend to recall as our happy moments? When the Happiness Research Institute conducted their happy memory study, they found multi-sensory experience to be the most conducive to creating happy memories. On top of paying attention, which is a basic requirement for memory encoding, we seem to have an easier time recalling moments that are filled with multi-sensory detail. For example, it's much easier to recall going camping on the beach, eating s'mores in front of the warmth of the bonfire, smelling the smokiness of the wood burning, hearing the sound of waves crashing on the shore, listening to songs with your friends, and looking up at the impressive sight of the Milky Way, than it is to recall watching a similar scene in a movie where you're limited to sight and sound. The more we become immersed in our physical reality, the more we become attuned to the multisensory world, the more we are able to create and recall memories. Knowing this, we can consciously choose to have more sensory-rich experiences, rather than choosing to stay at home to watch Netflix or browse YouTube or scroll through Instagram, we can go out and seek out sensory-rich experiences. We can go horseback riding, camping, attend a concert, take a cooking course, so on and so on. The second controllable aspect of experiences that have an easier time making it into our happy memory bank is novelty. When we experience something for the first time, we perceive the experience to last longer and can recall it more easily. Experiences that are singular and stand out are easier to remember. In the book, Mike Viking talks about how dogs seem to make it into people's happy memories more easily than cats do. I had a beloved dog who passed away, and when I try to recall specific moments with her, I honestly have a difficult time. Many of our memories blended together because most of our experiences together were the same experience, more or less, on repeat. But one of the memories I do recall is going hiking with her and having to pick her up because she was too tired to walk. We didn't go hiking very often, partially because she's not much of a hiking dog, but amazingly, as the pattern would predict, this memory comes to me much more easily than any moment spent with her at home. There are possibly many components to this phenomenon, but I think since dogs are able to be taken on adventures, they can join us for more novel experiences easily. If you had a cat who was able to go hiking with you, I am sure you would be able to recall some pretty sweet memories too. So, when given the choice to do the same thing versus something new, choose that something new every once in a while. You can designate a day where you must do something you've never done before. Maybe it's every new moon or the first weekend of every month. If you always go camping on the beach, you can try camping in a forest or do something else entirely different, like staying in one of those underwater hotels. Aim to do something you've never done before or in a way you've never experienced before. The third controllable aspect of happy memories is the overcoming of a struggle. Can you think of a struggle that you've overcome and how sweet that victory tasted? One of my favorite memories ever is swimming two kilometers around a lake. 
I didn't know if I could do it and it certainly took me quite a while, but I managed and I think fondly of this day. Another one is from this year and I had been running frequently and even though I was running on the same route that I normally ran on, I remember this day particularly well because I had challenged myself to run 10 miles for the first time. My hips were hurting because I had never surpassed 7 miles before and it was getting dark and I was rushing to finish so that I could get to my car before I couldn't see anymore and it was a glorious day, one of my favorite days from this year. The goal, of course, doesn't have to be about endurance sports, but the more you combine these different components of memory encoding, the higher you bump this memory up on your best memories chart. Running and swimming in nature are somewhat rich in multi-sensory detail, and if you sign up to, say, run a marathon in a place you've never been to, maybe trail running through a forest, that will likely bump up the memory as one of your favorite memories ever. When we consider these components, it makes sense that the ages between 15 and 30 should be such major memory points in our lives. We're getting to explore new things, we get to move away from our parents and go off to college and maybe even study abroad, experiencing new cultures, new smells, new landscapes, getting to know new people. We experience many firsts during this time, first kiss, first love. We're trying certain foods for the first time. We're being introduced to certain music for the first time. We are struggling to define ourselves, to land our first job, to establish our place in this world. This is an expansive time of curiosity, discovery, and growth. We are enriched with multi-sensory experiences, novel experiences, and we are blessed with a need to struggle. But as beautiful as that time was or is for us, our whole lives can be a continuation of discovery and chosen struggle. If we adopt a growth mindset and refuse to get complacent, we can continue to experience memories of a lifetime. We can decide to do so. The world is full of places we've never been to, foods we've never tried, people we've never met. At no point in anyone's lives can it be true that everything has been done and seen. At no point in anyone's lives can it be true that all challenges have been conquered. There will always be something to be experienced, discovered, and overcome. There are also other somewhat less controllable aspects to memory encoding that rank just below multi-sensory experience and just above novelty and struggle. And those aspects are emotion and meaning. Weddings, for example. The opportunity to partake in a wedding is somewhat seldom, but the implication is that if you get invited to a wedding, you should probably make an effort to go and allow yourself to get emotionally moved. Or if you're planning your own wedding, though it is a struggle, but remember struggles are good for creating memories, try to put as much heart and meaning into the ceremony as you can. But that's obvious, right? Now, you've done a great job creating experiences that are memorable. How do you actually remember, though? There are two secrets to retrieving memories. The first is storytelling. After something happens that you want to remember, you can simply talk about it. Tell someone, and remember to incorporate sensory detail, talk about how you felt, and what significance or meaning this experience holds for you. You can even use storytelling to reframe a negative experience into a positive one. If something embarrassing happened to you, 
Can you think of a way to turn it into a funny story? If you can, then you get bonus points for turning an otherwise negative memory into a memory for your happy memory bank. Or if you're shy or if the memory is not something you want to share with others, write it down. Hemingway apparently said that what makes a good book is the accuracy of the details which makes it memorable. I don't know if you're a fan of writing, but I am, and I found this tidbit of information to be inspiring. Mike Viking suggested that we can keep a memory log, and I thought this was a great idea for several reasons. First, knowing that you will report on your day, you will probably be more inspired to create happy moments in the first place so that you have something fun to write about. You will actively seek out happy moments. Second, having a log of your happy moments will build momentum for pleasant emotions. When you're feeling sad and you feel as though nothing good has ever happened to you, you can go to your happy memory log and have evidence to the contrary. Third, you can train your ability to recall detail. Not only will you be more vigilant about observing and paying attention, the more you write in a detailed manner, the better of a writer you'll become. At least according to Hemingway, who is not a bad judge of good writing. The second secret to retrieving memories is what Mike Viking calls outsourcing. It means taking pictures, videos, saving ticket stubs, and so on. But be careful not to assume that just by outsourcing, you're going to be able to recall. Remember that you have to pay attention in the first place. But this trick is really fun to combine with other components of memory encoding we discussed, namely using your senses, and in particular, smells and sounds. Andy Warhol apparently changed his perfume every three months and kept an archive of his perfumes so that when he wants to recall a specific period in his life, all he has to do is go to his chronologically ordered perfume collection and let the scent bring him back to the moment so he can recreate the scenes in his mind. I do something similar with music. I tend to naturally want to listen to the same song on repeat for several days to, at most, a few weeks, and then I find another song to listen to. I have a playlist of songs which I place in chronological order, and when I want to go back to specific days and weeks in my life, I can go to the corresponding song and all the feelings come back to me. In my experience, it is best not to listen to this playlist too much, especially when you're distracted, because then you'll mix the memory from stimuli of your present moment and dilute it. It's kind of like opening a perfume bottle and letting it sit under daylight. The volatile oils will escape and the perfume can go rancid. Perfumes are meant to be stored in dark places, and I do believe that similarly, when you listen to songs from your memory archive, it's best if you are undistracted and can limit the amount of stimuli you're exposed to, so that you can create the scenes in your head with more fidelity and purity. Every time you do open up your perfume bottle or listen up to your songs, you will cause a sort of distortion to the memory, so do it selectively and with care. But this trick is honestly pretty awesome. Another multi-sensory time capsule you can create to link you back to a time is taste. Maybe you can carry around different candies just to be safe. And when a moment comes up that you want to remember, you can grab one and taste it. Remember the flavor you grabbed and write it down in your memory log and don't eat this candy anymore. Then when you want to recall that moment, have a piece of that corresponding candy and let the scenes come alive in your mind. 
If you like cooking, you can also cook a special meal to eat on days and moments you want to remember, write down the recipe, and make it again when you want to retrieve those memories. So, we've covered the attention and memory aspect of happy memories. Now, how do we find happiness? We won't be able to cover all the secrets to being happy here, but I do have a couple of tips. First, we can raise our general life satisfaction. There are scientifically researched methods to feeling happier. Meditation is a popular one that we talk about frequently lately, and if you are a listener of my podcast, I hope that you're at least interested in meditation because I hope to create fun and varied forms of meditation so that you can begin to practice it. All the scientific research is just theory, though, until we put it to practice, and we won't be able to benefit from the astounding and even overwhelming lists of mental health benefits of meditation until we actually practice it. So I hope you are interested because I will be making more guided meditations. If you haven't already and you would like to, you can check out my second episode, which was all about the benefits of the loving-kindness meditation. Spoiler alert, it makes you happier. I also created a fun guided imagery style meditation to allow you to try and put the knowledge to good use right away. Mindful meditation is another form of meditation that can help increase life satisfaction and honestly, most if not all forms of meditation are going to benefit our mood both in the long term and in the short term. But mindfulness in particular can help you recall happy memories because it's all about observing and paying attention. Keeping a gratitude journal has also been shown to help with increasing life satisfaction and positive affect. I believe having a happy memory log does something to the same effect because you can talk about how grateful you are for the happy memories you've made. I know that you probably have heard of these tips already, which is why I don't want to go too deeply into them, but a lot of the common sense knowledge about happiness and mental well-being is already out there. It's not really a secret. Eat your vegetables, stay hydrated, exercise, rest, be kind, try to think positively, so on and so on. It's not that happiness is such a secret. And having pondered this topic for millennia, philosophers and now psychologists have made certain discoveries and strides in our understanding of happiness. The real secret is having the will to apply what you know. Sometimes we say happiness is a state of mind, and while that is true, mind and body are connected. It's kind of difficult to be in a great mood when your body is suffering. And it's also kind of difficult to be in a bad mood when your body is feeling euphoric. We don't watch a video on working out and assume we'll be able to get fit. And the same is true for happiness. There are certain physiological components to positive affect that we need to physically manage. Beyond these basic things your doctor has been telling you, make a list of some things you'd like to try or do knowing what you know now about creating happy memories. Choose to do things that make you feel happier. If you are listening to music, think about how the music is making you feel. If it's bringing you down, maybe you can try to listen to a more uplifting tune. If you're watching a movie or a TV show, think about that movie or TV and is it making you feel good? 
If not, can you watch something else? I don't know if the point of life is happiness per se, and I'd like to believe that all experiences, both positive and negative, are the real purposes of living. You know that this podcast is all about discovery and curiosity, and I believe that is my guiding north in life. Listen to sad music if you like sad music. I play plenty of sad tunes myself, that's fine. But if you want to make a concerted effort to create happy memories, which, who has too many of those? Then you can consciously choose to do so. Not that it's the only means to live, and that happiness is the only emotion we want to experience in life, but it is an important part of this beautiful experience of life. And in no way do I want to suggest that if you are dealing with depression and are finding it difficult to be happy, that it's because you're not doing the common sense things or that you're being lazy. It's not as simple as eating your vegetables and working out for everyone. Actually, probably not for most people. But these behaviors do tend to help most people, whether you're already feeling great or not. There was, at one point, some bad press about nostalgia. But in recent times, there is a growing body of evidence that suggests nostalgia, and I quote, produces positive feelings, boosts our self-esteem, and our sense of being loved, while reducing negative feelings such as loneliness and meaninglessness. So now that we know the recipe for creating future nostalgia, let's apply what we know. If you've felt inspired by any of the ideas we've discussed, act on it. And I want to follow my own advice along with you. I research these topics I do because I also want to level up and grow and feel better. I have been following my own advice thus far and I will continue to do so. And if you are a loyal listener of this show, thank you first of all for your support. And second, know that you are not alone and we are in this discovery journey together. However happy we already are or aren't, I hope that by gaining knowledge about happiness and memory, we can become conscious creators of our experiences. With time being our most precious resource, let's make the best of the time we have on Earth. After all, for what life are we reserving our best experiences? Every day we get to wake up is a brand new chance to experience the best day of our lives. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and for listening. I look forward to speaking with you again. And until next time, bye-bye.